This podcast is sponsored by LiveProducersOnline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production. What's up, guys? This is your host, Dan Giffen. Just wanted to give you a shout out and let you know that LiveProducersOnline.com is officially up and running, and we have unlimited access to different video courses teaching you Ableton Live. We're going to be adding new courses regularly as we continue to expand the site and get new teachers in there to teach you today's music production with Ableton Live. We're going to have webinars we have office hours and so this is a great way to join the membership community you yourself can set up a membership profile and link all of your own music to it you can interact with other producers and other members and it's all included in the membership we're only opening the doors to new members several times a year um, and it's going to be for a very short window of time so i encourage you to go to liveproducersonline.com and go to the join page and then you can go ahead and sign up and we'll let you know when the doors are open if you are interested in becoming a member and taking your music to the next level. So yeah, check it out, liveproducersonline.com, and here is today's podcast. Ableton Live has a great other feature that you want to use all the time called warping, except when you're doing playback. If you can avoid warping during playback, it can really reduce the load on the computer, just like we talked about before. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Ableton Live Music Producer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Giffen. And today we have a very special guest. His name is Christian Thomas. Um, Christian has helped design live performances for many well-known artists, including Nelly, Luke Bryan, Lionel Richie, Backstreet Boys, Jason Derulo, Florida Georgia Lion, Ex-Ambassadors, and a lot more. He's also consulted for televised performances, including American Idol, Tonight Show, Late Show, um, Good Morning America, Jimmy Kimmel Live, The Voice, Super Bowl, and the list keeps going on and on. Uh, as a producer, Christian has released music on a large list of labels and has been featured internationally in publications such as Five Magazine, Noise, and VH1 Australia. As an instructor, Christian has taught on music performance and production at schools and events throughout the United States, including Portland State University, Middle Tennessee State University, SAE Institute, and a lot others. So um, Christian is also the founder of Lifestems.com, um, which is a company with a variety of services that helps artists bring their music from the studio to the stage. And without further ado, thank you, Christian, for joining us today, man. I'm glad to have you. Absolutely. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to meet you, and I can't wait to chat with you. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we were talking a bit earlier, and you're in Nashville, Tennessee right now, right? Absolutely. And I know you're an Ableton guy. I'm an Ableton guy. That's kind of how we all connected through the Ableton mm-hmm. grapevine of Ableton family. Uh, I want to get to know you a little bit better. And I usually start off this podcast just asking our guests to tell us a little bit about their music background. How did you get started in music and how did you end up to where you are today? Sure. Um, absolutely. Well, I, I got started pretty early on. My, my family has sort of been in the music industry all my life. My father was a, a drummer, I still is a touring drummer and a background vocalist. And uh, my mother, back when I was born, was, was uh, in sort of the industry side of things out in Los Angeles at Universal. And um, anyway, growing up the son of a drummer, I was uh, given my first drum set when I was uh, two, I believe. He built it out of parts of spare drum, drum parts that he had left over. And so I got started with that and really stuck with drums and percussion all the way through school while learning things like piano and stuff like that. But realistically, it was always percussion instruments. So I was always playing things with my hands and wrists. 
I was involved in, you know, mar bands and marching bands and drum lines and percussion ensembles and was really involved in high school all the way through college and uh, taught at, at a pretty high level for a while in that world. Really influenced a lot of, of, of how I produced and the type of music that I liked. Um, uh, for example, you know, I, I grew up around rock bands in the 80s and 90s. And so I remember hearing on the radio in the, you know, in the 80s, first hearing rap music for the first time, uh, you know, uh, uh, run DMC, like that kind of thing and hearing pro yeah. programmed electronic sounds and falling in love with it immediately. And so when my, my, my family was lucky enough to get a, a home computer in 1989 and it was right then immediately I started making computer music, then software like, uh, uh, uh cakewalk that was MIDI based and, um, you know, Cubase and Reason and some of the older software that's still around, but, but you know, different iterations of it now. We, we grew up, my brother and I, really producing a lot of electronic stuff all the way from house and drum and bass and break songs and, and um, uh, really cut our teeth with that. And yeah. so in 2001, I got involved with a, a, a a longtime partner of mine named Carson Carr, and at the time, a handful of other drum corps drummers. And we started a group called Real Time Hand Motion. And it was basically five guys on stage with electronic drum pads rolling SPD-30s. Um, and each person would have sort of their own state, uh, their own little uh, uh, pod. And we would write these drum and bass songs where one person would be taking over the, uh, the bass line. One person would be responsible for playing the kick and snare. Another person would be playing intricate uh, hi-hat parts. Another person oh, maybe wow. would be playing vocal chops. And we'd do That's that cool. for eight, eight bars or so. And then after eight bars, everybody's instrument would switch and you'd be on a different part. And it was That's really cool. cool. It was a lot of fun um, and incredibly difficult to program with all the program changes. And there wasn't really any software for it. So we were doing all of this with an Akai sampler and, and real-time synths and things like that that were happening. That's awesome. So it was really cool, but the problem was it would take like three months to put a song together. It would take a really long time. <laughs> right. so, so, you know, we'd, we'd get all this stuff together. If we wanted to go play a show, you know, we could maybe put together a, one song, you know, six minutes worth of music for, you know, a show. And, and it would take us three months to do it. So long story, sh long story short, we... Um, uh, those five guys, eventually people got married and had kids and stuff like that. So Yeah, that'll change being... things with the band getting together. Yeah, exactly. So Different phase of life. Boiling down to just myself and my buddy Carson um, being the guys who were really enthusiastic about electronic music. And we were the only two real producers at the time. So we really stuck with it and figured out a way to do similar stuff and, and make a show out of things a lot faster. Um, but just two of us on stage. And really the key cool. to that became Ableton Live coming out, even version one, which is what we started on. And we were using it to uh, uh, do our production in the studio, but even better, we, could, we figured out a way to start using it for its intended purpose, which was using it on stage. And we would, yeah. instead of playing, all of us playing drum pads, one person would be sort of DJing with the software a little bit, or one person would be using um, like, like joysticks, like flight sticks you would for a flight simulator, and we'd be using that cool. to convert it to MIDI notes for CCs, and it would, it would control a filter. And the audience would still get something to watch while we were doing it. So we didn't want to be DJs. We wanted to be out there doing electronic right. music live.
Right. And, more than um, just button mashers. There's a lot of button mashers out there today, but when you yeah. see like actual stuff happening as the music's being created, it adds a whole new element to it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And That's so, awesome. yeah, I mean, so, so uh, we did that. We, it, it afforded us some really cool opportunities to not only get some popularity producing originally drum and bass, but we, we ended up having some luck in 2006 and uh, uh, DJ Sneak decided to pick up a house song we decided to make. And we decided very quickly that we could make uh, a lot more popularity and a little bit of cash doing house music. So we had a lot of uh, support from from buddies like um, Mark Farina and DJ Heather and, and a lot of those house, Chicago house people. And it afforded us the opportunity to go and play every year down at Winter Music Conference and Detroit Electronic Music Festival, a lot of those big type events throughout the United That's States. Cool. And we were yeah. really busy for about a decade doing that. And it's, it's sort of dwindled a little bit more recently, but, um, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's still fun and it, it has a fond place in my heart and it would have never gone anywhere without the Ableton Live software. I mean, that really made it, gave us all the tools we needed to make that happen. And right. so, um, yeah. Yeah. I describe to people who are new to Ableton that Ableton is really its own instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not just a piece of software. It really, you can play Ableton. It's just, that's yeah. how it is. That's exactly I'm right. Sorry. Anyway, go ahead. What you're saying. Oh, I was just going to finish up with a question, but saying that, that um, uh, the cool part about it was that uh, because we were so early, ado- such early adopters of the software, we sort of became known, and we were traveling around using it, we became very visible advertisers or endorsees of that software. Yeah. And so we became known as, for a while, at least in the region, for being the guys who were known, you know, as the software became popular, we were the guys that people would come to to, to learn more about it or to ask questions about it. And we started getting asked by, um, we'd go and play a gig and there'd be a promoter there. And that promoter may also be affiliated with a school or local university. And we'd get asked, you know, we'd be playing that night. But earlier in the day, they'd ask us to come in and speak to a group of, you know, 30, 40 students at a local university and talk for two or three hours on a, do a workshop on the software. And so we sort of cut our teeth teaching the software at the same time and later became a certified trainer as a result. That's awesome. So when did you become a certified trainer? How long ago was that? Ironically, I have been teaching, contracted teaching for, uh, doing different contracted teaching for Ableton Live for pro- or for probably uh, six or seven years, but I've only been actually certified because the stars didn't align on it until I think I got certified last year, no, two years ago. Yeah, no, and I'm, I'm actually Logic Pro 10 certified, but it's a completely different process with Ableton, as you know. Mm-hmm. And for those that are listening that aren't familiar, uh, becoming Ableton certified trainer is, is not just like taking a test. It's a, it's a multiple stage interview process, and you mm-hmm. only have an open window at every once in a while. It could be every two or three years. And then you have to go to a special place, and they only accept so many people. And it's a whole weekend ordeal of testing you in a lot of different ways. So um, that's one thing I, I love about Ableton is they're very community focused, but they're very picky about who they certify mm-hmm. because they really only want the best. So that says a lot about you, Christian, for sure. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. It was a, I, I've I've got a couple other certifications, and that is absolutely by far the most difficult that I've ever yeah. had to pursue, and the one yeah. I have the most pride in as well. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. That's awesome. And you shared a little bit about your musical background. I'm a drummer as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
I, you know, one beautiful thing about technology and electronic music as it's evolved is, you know, someday if my kids want to play drums, I can give them an electronic drum pad with Ableton and not have to be annoyed at like late night <laughs> hours playing an acoustic drum set. It's not a luxury yeah. that my mom was afforded in my no, house. So my, that's great. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, we have very patient parents. We'll just say that for sure. <laughs> But yeah, okay, so you founded the company Life Stems, and you kind of talked about your musical journey leading up to where you're at now and, and a lot of different avenues and getting started early with the electronic music scene. Mm -hmm. um, I think, obviously, that gave you a huge advantage to being where you're at today is jumping in early. Real quick side note, what was the, uh, when did you first get into Ableton? What version was it? Version one. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, was... so that's the OG of the original Ableton. That's awesome. Even more so, I think my first, my first real in-depth taste of it was when there was a, a, an offshoot of it that Steinberg put out called uh, Steinberg Remix. And it was Ableton Live, but just reskinned. Yeah, no, you were like one of the founding fathers. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. So tell us a little bit about your uh, company. I briefly mentioned it in your introduction about Livestems.com. Tell us um, what you guys do. Sure. Uh, the, the company came about sort of organically in that I was telling you I started uh, getting to teach at these universities and um, uh, many of them would involve students sitting there who would later go on to be working out in the industry, uh, you know, whether it was on the road or whatever. And there was one in particular where I remember teaching in about 2006 and, and a, a, a week later I got a call from one of the students that sat in the class who was going out to be a backline tech for an artist on the road in country music. And he said, well, hey, this artist is looking to get a playback system built for him, the, the ability to play back audio on stage. And he had heard about Ableton Live, and I thought you might be able to tackle it. So I said, absolutely. I jumped in and, and, and took care of it. Uh, fast forward, and uh, that, that artist was a young Luke Bryan, who's become oh, one wow. of the largest country artists. Yeah. At the time, he was traveling in you know, a conversion van. Now he's got something like 16 tour buses on the road. So, yeah. So yeah, it's a starving artist success story. Really. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> so, so that's, that's the essence of how the business, the basis of what the business is. So I, I really focus on building playback solutions for artists. And what that is, is, and that's been around since the eighties really is even with real to real, um, yeah. where artists would, the problem was these artists would go in the studio, they'd produce these amazing records, but they'd have a huge amount of sound behind them. And it wasn't feasible or possible uh, to bring out all of the instruments necessary to uh, complete that sound and make that sound sound like it does on the radio. And so they would, they came up with the idea of having some of the audio from the studio played back alongside the band. For a long time, that was a very painful process where you'd end up with sneakers in a dryer where the band would get off. Uh, from the recording so yeah. they came up you know and so there was yeah. all these different solutions that came about to make that happen about trying to get you know make a, a click go down the right channel and just get a mono channel of of, of you know music and then they started yeah. getting dat tapes where you had multi-channel and all this anyway um, it didn't really come into real fruition until you started getting DOS you know digital audio workstations like Pro Tools and things like that but right. even then those software really weren't designed for playback they were designed to be solid recording so you'd end up with all sure. these horror stories about these machines right. going bad and you know uh, yeah. glitching out completely and that's where Ableton Live really shines so um, anyway I, I focus on Ableton Live playback systems I, I deal with um, consulting on building hardware but most importantly where I, I, my skill set really focuses on is really building out projects that are tailored to a band in particular um, yeah. or the, the size of the production um, sure. I integrate it with lighting and video and 
in pyro and cryo through time code. I do custom okay. MIDI solutions. Okay. Um, if they've got crazy MIDI that they need going around stage and program changes, we do a lot of that work. Cool. Um, which has lent itself into really helping consult for performances, um, actually getting in there and saying, you know, why don't we pace the show this way? Why don't we uh, make this a point where this artist takes a moment and talks to the audience? That's um, awesome. So really you're more than just, I mean, you're obviously providing like a full production setup for an artist that comes to you and is like, this is my vision, help mm -hmm. me accomplish this. But even more so is you're kind of almost, it sounds like giving them some consulting on like, their live performance as an artist and how they could improve their performances, the presence of what they're doing. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even awesome. more so it's um, because we're using the software, it also gives me the ability to do things like on-site production, which I love, which means that yeah. the show is being built out and they've got this idea, but they've all they've got is songs. They want to turn it into an actual production. So we'll That's produce cool. on-site an intro or interludes and things like that to throw in between these songs. That's really cool. I mean, we talked about Ableton Live and, and we've talked about a lot of other programs. What are some other software and programs that you use with Ableton on a regular basis that kind of syncs inside of Ableton? It's, it's funny you ask that question because there aren't a lot. There are some. There are a couple that I use, but there really aren't as many as you'd expect because the software has so many features that are perfect for this. Yeah. So uh, one in particular that I use a lot especially over the last three years, it's, it's not integrated into it. But um, so the software itself acts as playback. But one of the tricks and one of the things that always changes from group to group is deciding what they want to use to control it. I don't want whoever mm -hmm. the operator is of this system to be a drummer sitting, uh, you know, uh, on his riser, looking like he's checking Facebook to the audience because he's sitting <laughs> in front of the computer. So right. In, in, in turn, we will go and try to find an appropriate controller for that person. And oftentimes that's something like an electronic drum pad, like a Roland SPD or a, or a MIDI yeah. keyboard or something. But what I've started sure. switching a lot of these people over to is an iPad, just having an iPad okay. on a little mounted screen. And what yeah. we can do with an iPad is use, a soft, use software like Lemur or Touch OSC, uh, pr yeah. predominantly Lemur though, to, okay. to create a custom interface that looks essentially like the front of a jukebox. And they sure. just press a button when they're ready to fire a song and it counts them in and starts playing the song. When they're done, yep. they hit stop and move on to the next one. And yeah. um, that's the Lemur software in particular has been excellent for that because it's just very versatile when in designing an interface and I can make it do all sorts of cool MIDI stuff. You know, I need to play with Lemur. I've heard of it. I've, I've played with Touch OSC, but I haven't touched Lemur very much. So I need to look into that. And I'm glad you're name dropping these things because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are taking notes as as they're going through the show and and all these things that you're mentioning now uh, for all of you listening we're going to include in the show notes so don't feel like you have to frantically rewind and keep playing all the good stuff that christian's sharing right now um, <laughs> um, so so another thing that we use on occasion i told you that sometimes we'll do integration with lighting um video and, and different systems um if if it's a large-scale production we deal with that by just sending out time code which I don't need to use external software for. I just play that back like I would any audio. Yeah. But if it's, if it's a smaller scale production or even medium-sized production, sometimes they don't want to bring out a lighting director with them. So instead, we'll do pre-sequence lighting uh, using uh, uh, MIDI um, to DMX. So MIDI okay. to DMX control. And there's, so there's a plugin uh, called DMXis, which is DMXIS, DMXIS, which is um, really industry it's industry proven we've used it on a huge and there's a lot of guys out there using it 
and it, it runs as a VST awesome. plugin and converts MIDI data that you use in a normal MIDI clip to DMX that's controls, and you can make MIDI major MIDI lighting events happen. And that's just, really cool. Yeah, there, there's a another plugin very similar like that, but it's for video specifically. It's called Video Sync. I don't yeah. know if you've played oh, yeah. that. Yeah. Matt McCoy was a previous guest we had, and he was repping that pretty hard. And mm -hmm. and I've yet to play with it a little deeper. What I've done with it is pretty cool so far, though. So you guys should check that out for all of you listening as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that one's a very cool one as well. Um, and then realistically, a major part of my job is trying to make sure that I keep the computer itself or, you know, all the hardware um, not taxed. I try to, I try to really yeah. optimize things. And so realistically, you, I'm not – yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask, can you talk a little more detail if we can just nerd out for a second? Like what are, what are some things that you would do to make sure the computer's not taxed for those uh, early Oh, things? sure. Um, well – uh, first and foremost, I will. Part of my job is to collect a, ser a, a bunch of what they call stems, which are individual parts from an audio recording. And those yeah. stems can sometimes be uh, eight eight wave files. Sometimes they can be in, in like Backstreet Boys fashion. It would be like eighty wave files for a single. Song. Oh uh, yeah. And and when you do that. Um, Ableton Live is a unique piece of software by comparison to all the other DAWs because it is not processor intensive. Instead, it's very memory intensive, and that's because it's designed to play back things very quickly. And memory in the RAM inside of the computer is the fastest way it can access that memory. And yeah. so it really loads up on trying to, you know, it really behooves you to try to get 8 gigs or 16 gigs of memory memor uh, minimum inside of that computer because that's where it's going to load up all these files so it can play them back very quickly. Uh, yeah. That being said... It doesn't make sense to have the files that you're loading in there be of higher quality than is going to be perceivable by the audience. So okay. I always make sure, first and foremost, that the files I'm loading in are not ridiculously high, 96K, you know, right, 132-bit. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, right. it's ridiculous because either it's going to eventually be subbed down to something like 44116, or okay. at the minimum, the PA is not going to play. You're not, you're not going to be hear, hear that quality of the PA. Interesting. As sad as it sounds, up until really this year, I've been operating almost every one of these projects at 44116 which is going to make a lot of people unhappy when they hear that. <laughs> that being said, I've started to bite the bullet now as, as SSD drives become less expensive um, and, and switch a lot of these upscaled to 4824. Uh, but that's, okay. that's a huge optimization point right there. Sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So that's, that's a great trick. Is there any other little tips with that that you would help to optimize somebody's computer so it doesn't bug out or cry in the middle of a performance? Yeah, I, I would say, um, and this kind of goes without saying, but it, it needs to be said, is no matter what, always make sure you are planning to run from an external audio interface. And I say yeah. that because I've gone out on the road and seen major productions that I didn't have a hand in where these guys are running it out of a two mix out of the MacBook Pro audio output port. Just running it aux out, really, That's like it. the headphone jack. That's crazy. Yeah. I've met a few people that have done that, and I've never personally done that. I mean, I understand the simplicity of not having to carry around like a big eight channel interface with you or whatever. But well, you have I, a, I, there's a huge there's a huge amount of pluses to it, and 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 and, and this goes not just for people who are using the software. It goes for people who are using it in a DJ environment too. Um, yeah. As soon as you 
as soon as you introduce an external interface, you remove all things. Not only do you get other features, but it also dramatically removes latency. And most importantly, it removes the, um, any additional interference that come from things like somebody putting their cell phone too close to your computer. Yeah, yeah. that's I interesting. Mean, that, that's really interesting. That's such an important thing that is oftentimes overlooked just because you can put a MacBook in your in your backpack and travel around the world. Okay. doesn't mean that you shouldn't take a little half-space rack unit with, you know, like a, a little Motu ultralight or something like that that doesn't take up that much space, but man, right. does it help. Right. No, that's great insight, man. Thank you for sharing that. Like, I know that our listeners right now are eating this up, and I know I am too. Yeah, are there any other, like, MIDI controllers that are out of the box for Ableton that you recommend to people to use for live performance? Yes, uh, the caveat being that there are some, if there are Ableton specific controllers, if they're Ableton Live specific controllers, chances are they have a huge amount of features on them. And as a mm -hmm. result, they probably have more than what you need. The last yeah. thing that somebody who's performing on stage is, is, is to sit there and say, oh, wait a minute, which one does this button do? What <laughs> right. is this button? So the yeah. reality is only, you know, don't, don't get the thing with the most blinking lights and buttons because realistically, you're the only person looking at it. So get the one That's that has good. the exact amount of features you need, the amount of rotary encoders and those kinds of things. Right. In most cases, something like a, something like a one of the Roland MPD products is probably your better bet. Instead yeah. of something like a like a uh, like a like even a push. Push is awesome in the studio, but yeah. unless you're willing to put in the diligence to really learn every in and out of that piece of hardware, don't yeah. plan on using it on stage. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I have a lot of people who are like, hey, I bought a push and now I can DJ with it. And I'm like, that's cool. You can. <laughs> you can do that. But I find it more valuable in the studio for a production tool than anything else. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, this is good stuff, man. Thank you for sharing that. And you're right. And especially with the clients and customers you're working with who are like, hey, I maybe don't know Ableton Live super well. I just need a solution. You know, having them hit a button through Lemur or something, mm -hmm. you know, easy just to hit like, here's three buttons. That's that makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for sure. Can you walk me through, say, if, if I was coming to you and I was a solo artist or it was just me and another person? And we were asking you to walk us through how we would bounce out our stems from our recording session in our Ableton doll, um, how we would go about that to set it up for live performance, like any kind of workflow tips you have with that. So the idea is that you're trying to build out a project to play sure, underneath right. your band. Exactly. Um, yeah. And you want to do it in Ableton Live. Okay, so, so first and foremost, um, Ableton Live has two different flavors to it. It's got the arrange mode, which looks like every other DAW out there, essentially, with some slight differences, it's meaning that it's multi-track linear. You hit play and you watch uh, line mo move across the screen, and that's what you're hearing. Um, then you've got the session mode, which looks more like, a, uh, like an Excel spreadsheet, pretty much, but acts as sort of like a sample bank. That's um, a really good way of putting it, an Excel spreadsheet. It really does kind of look like that. <laughs> Which yeah. means you've got columns and rows, and you can yeah. pop in, and where those columns and rows meet are these little cells, these little you know, squares that you can either put things in or leave them blank. Those two different areas are actually designed for very different functions. The, the arrange mode being, as the name implies, a place to go do arrangements. If that's the place you're going to spend most of your time in the studio, in my opinion. You're going to do your recording, and you're going to do your, your production. Um, in many cases, people do choose to use that for their place to do their playback, meaning they put all their song in that entire thing, and then they put their next song after it and their next song after it, and they just set marker points and hit play and jump around that way. Yeah. And that's possible. You can do that. Um, and I see people do it all the time. The Me problem too. is, is doing that 
does not at all take advantage of the Ableton Live software. You might as well use Pro Tools because that's not where Ableton Live shines for yeah. live, live purposes. Uh, the right. session mode is much better suited for that. And there's a, I could go for hours on, on why that is. Um, but the short of it is you need to start from working in the session mode. If you've got a collection of sounds for your song, then you're going to want to load all of those into what they call a scene, which essentially is a horizontal row of sounds that if you click on each one, they play individually. But if you click on the master channel on the right-hand side, it will fire all of them at once in tandem with one another, which is great because Ableton Live has a great other feature that you want to use all the time called warping, except when you're doing playback. If you can avoid warping during playback, it can really reduce the load on the computer, just like we talked about before. Warping mm -hmm. um, is excellent for doing things like changing the tempo of something in real time or changing the pitch of something in real time. But it's not great for playing back something that you already have locked in the tempo and already have locked in the pitch for. So you might as well turn it off so that it doesn't tax the computer so much, especially when you've got 32 gigs of sounds loaded into the computer all at the same time. And, and that being That's said, interesting. there are okay. a series of different warping algorithms to choose from. You've got beats sure. and tones, but then you've got things like right. Complex and Complex Pro, which the, if you, anybody who's used it for a while knows that that makes that CPU meter jump up like crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know? so, so that yeah. being said, if you do have to render something out, or if, if you do have to change the pitch of something, a song, let's say, your, your vocalist oversings themselves one night and they need to drop it down a half step or a whole step, uh, or you need to change the tempo of a song, then you might as well drag all those sounds into the arrange mode, make that change by warping them and make the change. And then before you bring them back over, consolidate those sounds and turn off warping. That way you're playing from unwarped audio. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And yeah, and I think that's one brilliant thing about Ableton is you've got multiple views to work in. It's not just like you're in Tractor and you're married to that one view. You can actually go and rearrange and compose and then bring it back in into session view and go back and forth and back and forth. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's brilliant. exactly right. Yeah, so awesome. you, yeah, it used to be that you'd have to, you know, if I was working in Reason, for example, I, I would have to do something in Reason, and if I needed to make, like, actual edits to a sample, I'd have to go out of that program, go into something like SoundForge or Audacity or something, make that yeah. change, and then fly it back in. In this case, I've got a pretty much a one-stop shop for everything I need audio-wise. That's great. That's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah. That's brilliant. So, um Ableton just announced that they are having their big loop conference, which um, I don't know if you're planning on going to that, but I just wanted to give that a shout out to our listeners. Mm -hmm. If um, if any of you are music makers and you want to be inspired, I would encourage you guys to go out to L.A. on the upcoming Loop 2018 event, um, which I believe is going to be in November, correct? Yeah, yeah they usually so. do it in November. And, and I, the reason why it's important, if you are an Ableton enthusiast, it's really important you take advantage of this particular year because every year they do it somewhere different. They'll do, they'll do Berlin every other year generally. And right. they'll do uh, you know, somewhere in the United States and they'll do somewhere, they'll go Ireland or UK. You know, so it, it's, yeah. if you're in the U.S. and you're listening to this, take advantage of the fact that you don't have to fly overseas. Exactly. At minimum. That's true. And I go That's to a true. lot of conferences like, you know, I go to a lot of conventions like NAM and all of those. And um, those are all well and good, but they're more like trade shows. This is very much a, a software centric, uh, inspirational type event where you're doing actual practical workshops. But there's a lot of things that are you may sit in and somebody talking about African frame drumming and how how they you're using that alongside some really cool VST that you didn't know about. That's and it's awesome. just super inspirational. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just wanted to give a shout out to those people who didn't know that that was coming up. And there's a limited window to register. So I would jump on that as soon as possible. And you can find it on Ableton's website. But yeah, Christian, I, was there anything else that you wanted to share? Um, maybe about what you do or anything that we've talked about before, um, before we wrap it up? I know we're running out of time, but I just want to give you a chance to maybe throw out some other thoughts that you had, if there were any. I mean, I, like I said, I could talk shop with you or anybody with about, <laughs> about this kind of stuff I all day too. long. Um, no, I would love to. I, I, I really wish I could. It'd be I, wonderful. I guess Another I guess, day for sure. Yeah, I guess what I could close on would be um, to sort of wrap up everything I talked about is, is, and you mentioned it already, was that, that the way I started things, you know, learning about falling in love with drumming and getting, you know, learning as much as I could about that and then falling in love with computers and learning about that and then sort of starting to figure out ways to make music with computers and then turning drumming into uh, drumming and computers into a career with with electronic music and then turning all of that knowledge and MIDI knowledge into a career where I'm supporting artists and building these massive shows is hopefully somebody can find some level of inspiration and in that I hope you can find something that you love and learn as much as you can about it and then you know, try yeah. to carve out something unique about it that you do specifically, and then maybe you can even monetize it. But, you know, and, and if you can live happily doing something you, you really enjoy and are inspired to do every day. Yeah, no, I, I uh, there's a band called uh, Rust Liquid, and <laughs> uh, I was at their show last night and was talking to one of the guys in the band, and he was saying, um, as an artist, you know you're doing really well if you follow the two-thirds rule. And I've never heard this, but yeah, <laughs> first one is that, you're surrounded by talented artists. Um, and he said, number two, you're surrounded by people that you really love. And number three, you are getting to um, get paid for what you do that you love as an artist. And if you can get, if you can get two of those three like completely solid, then you're going to have a great life. And I was like, that's, that's interesting. That's, that's very, very good. Very good. Uh, a quote there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but cool. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate the, the insight you had. You gave us a lot of good stuff to chew on here today about setting up live performance and what you do with livestems.com. Um, where can people find out more about you? Maybe if they want to work with you um, and a real quick sure. question do you work with bands outside of Nashville? Is this all over the country? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've just I've got four artists I just picked up in Canada last week. So right, yeah, okay. we, we're doing it all over the place. But um, wonderful. Uh, so for for with with regard to playback systems and, and all of that kind of stuff, um, you can check me out on livestems.com or you can email me at christian at livestems.com. Um, okay. If you want to hear some some of the music stuff that I was talking about that we, we've done over the years, you can check us out on realtimehandmotion.com okay. or SoundCloud uh, slash realtimehandmotion. All right. Realtimehandmotion and livestems.com. Everybody go check that out. Um, if you have questions for Christian, I'll also include his email that he just mentioned in the show notes. Um, thanks again, man, for joining us. You gave us a lot of good knowledge and uh, you obviously know what you're doing and have had a lot of great experience with a lot of really well-known artists and opportunities. And uh, hopefully we can have you back again to join us and hang out sometime. Absolutely, man. It's a pleasure. I was looking forward to chatting with you and uh, I look forward to checking out the future episodes with other people. Absolutely. And maybe we'll all see you at Loop this year. Who knows? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll be okay. there for sure. Awesome. Well, I will too. We'll be hanging out later. Oh, cool. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. All right. You too, Dan. Goodbye. What's up, guys? This is your host, Dan Giffen. Just wanted to give you a shout out and let you know that liveproducersonline.com 
is officially up and running and we have unlimited access to different video courses teaching you Ableton Live. We're going to be adding new courses regularly as we continue to expand the site and get new teachers in there to teach you today's music production with Ableton Live. You can interact with other producers and other members and it's all included in the membership. We're only opening the doors to new members several times a year. Um, and it's going to be for a very short window of time. So I encourage you to go to liveproducersonline.com and go to the join page. And then you can go ahead and sign up and we'll let you know when the doors are open if you are interested in becoming a member and taking your music to the next level. This podcast is sponsored by liveproducersonline.com, a community of Ableton Live users connecting you to the pros to learn today's music production.